we've been talking about just really living lives that are shaped by the gospel, and we're going to keep right on going with that. Um, and as, as uh, Chris and I have been talking and really talking about this for many, many years, I think sometimes we can think of the gospel just as news to tell someone, but when you watch Jesus' life, uh, the gospels are something bigger than that. It's, it's not just a news blurb. There's something bigger happening. Uh, I met Kathy, you guys know the story, and instantly fell in love with her. And then 364 days later, I married her. And so I can tell you that, and that's, that's kind of great. But I can also show you, you know, usually I'd be able to point right there and she'd be right there, but she's in the other room. I'll show you later. Um, but you could go out to lunch with us and you're gonna touch what happened that day that I saw her at Florida Mall in Orlando, Florida. You're gonna touch the reality of what happened there. And then you could see some of our children, or at least one of them walking around, and one of our grandchildren, and um, you can experience what happened that day. So you can, you can talk about something with just a sentence, but then you can touch something, and it's better to touch something. Um, we certainly proclaim the gospel. We have to. We tell people about Jesus, but we can also live lives that show people who Jesus is and show people that he's real. Uh, we call this incarnating or embodying the gospel, and it's pretty powerful stuff. A guy named Jesus did it pretty well himself. Um, you've heard people say that I can't hear your words because your life is shouting so loudly at me. And the truth is, is that before you ever talk, your life has already said a whole lot. And while you're talking, your life is saying a whole lot. And after you're done talking, your life is saying a whole lot. So, so incarnating the gospel is one way along with proclaiming it, but we can also demonstrate or show people the power of the gospel. Sometimes when you used to be at like Costco or Sam's, and sometimes if you watch HGTV, or not HGTV, like Home Shopping Network, excuse me, I don't watch it that much. People will do this like demonstration of a Ginsu knife, and they'll cut through like, uh, you know, ten, uh, 10 with this knife and then they'll cut through a tomato and stuff like that. And after the demonstration, it's so great, you're, how can you not buy it? You know, everybody's signing up for it. Um, you'll see the demonstration and then all of a sudden you'll start to see like all the numbers of all the people that are calling or all the phones light up in the old days. Um, it's a heck of a lot easier to believe good news that you've just seen demonstrated right before your eyes than it is just to hear it. Um, Jesus didn't just tell people good news, Nate. He lived in a way that changed everything, and he walked right into people's lives and touched their pain. He touched their brokenness. He touched where they were trapped. He touched where their lives weren't working, and he showed them the power of God. He showed them the kindness of God, and he showed them the love of God. He allowed them to touch the reality of the kingdom of God, and he invited them in, and people just came running, and that's the way Jesus dealt with the gospel. Uh, it was pretty powerful stuff. We're going to talk about that today. Two weekends ago, Kathy and I flew down to Costa Rica. Um, there, sometimes for me, if I'm in a quiet time, there's verses that start to really go after my heart. And so if you hang out with me during the time when those verses are going after my heart, I'm going to talk to you about those verses. And so there's a verse that I was talking about when we presented at ACM. And that was the verse that's been kind of pursuing my heart. So we get on the plane and we fly down to Costa Rica and Josue and Anita Garcia, they picked us up at the airport and we are on one side of the city and we made it all the way through traffic across the city. San, San Jose, if you remember, 
It's three volcanoes across the north side of the city, and then it's a mountain range across the, the bottom of the city, and it's a valley in between. So we started on the west side, and making it through traffic in Costa Rica takes tremendous faith right now. There's a lot of traffic, so much so that some truckers are doing all of their shipping at night because it's the only way you can get across the city. So we made it across the city, and we just had lunch with Josue and Anita, and it was a wonderful time. It was great to be with them. They were opening up their hearts. They've gone through a lot. You guys will remember Josue and Anita lost their son, Moises, a few years ago. And so we had a wonderful time with them, and we were getting ready to go that night to the far other side of the valley, up on, on the bottom of another volcano, to be in the home of one of the couples that are both leaders within the Boy of the Ball team, but they're also leaders within the local church down there that you guys will remember Carlos Celaya was here this summer, and it's his church. And so as we were sitting and talking in the afternoon, getting ready to go to the team meeting, uh, Josue was just talking to me that for some of the team members who would be there that night, who are leaders in the church, they had really been struggling with just fear and apprehension about COVID. Like, what do you do as a church about it? So much so that the church has gone to just meeting once a month, and they're pretty rigid about it all. And I mean, it's big stuff, right? Um, we have access to a lot of vaccines. Sometimes in other countries, there's not the same access. And you really have to contend with fear. Um, but as a result of meeting less, the, the church was sort of hurting. And when you're not gathering together, when you're facing such fear, you start to get smaller and smaller. And something in my heart, uh, thinking of the verses that Jesus has been talking to me about, I was burning. I already kind of had this sense of like, I'm ready. So we get to their house that night. All the doors are open. Uh, everybody's wearing masks. We just came through an airport. So, <laughs> you know, they were being careful. And I understand all of that. Um, but I went ahead and I picked up the Gospel of Luke in chapter 6 and starting in verse 17. These are the verses that God's been speaking through. And this is, this is what those verses say. Jesus had just chosen his 12, 12 disciples. Like really, the verses right before that, he chooses the 12 disciples. And this is what it says in verse 17. Jesus went down with them and he stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. So it says a large crowd um, were coming to him, and it says they had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Not some of their diseases, like they came for everything to change for them. And then people who were troubled by demons, they were asking for him to change their lives. And it said power was coming from him and healing them. So then I read down, Jesus turns to tell them about the kingdom after they had just watched him incarnate and demonstrate it. And you get a little bit of the Sermon on the Mount. Then he heals the centurion's son in chapter seven, but in verse 11, uh, this happens. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and he touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still, and he said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us. God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. 
And as I was talking to them, I was just basically telling them, that's a snippet of how Jesus dealt with the gospel. Like, if you hear it, it says the last verse, the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea. It wasn't just a really good delivery. Like, they hadn't crafted a perfect Bible study, right? It was that Jesus showed up and everything changed. That's a really good way to communicate the gospel. You can argue forever or you can raise a dead boy. It, it works great. It's an incredible communication technique. You can get 30 size font on your PowerPoint presentation or you can just raise somebody's son from the dead and that will communicate that God is powerful and things can, can change. And that's the way that Jesus did it. He did proclaim but he also incarnated it. The way he lived was different. And then he also demonstrated it, and it was life-changing. And so as we talked that night, I just said to them, hey, I can't tell you how to respond to COVID. You know, that is between you and the Lord, and God's gonna have to speak to you, and you're gonna have to be faithful about how you respond. But I reminded them, we're not simply churchgoers. We're people who have had Jesus walk into our lives. And I said, he's here tonight. Uh, we would have to live like it, is what I said. You know, he's here tonight, and there's just no way we can get around not acting like it. Um, there's a world, I said, out there that's dying without Jesus, and they're not going to be reached by a group of people who aren't living as if he's real and alive and dynamic and powerful. It is really, really hard to communicate that God can change your whole life to somebody else if you're struggling to believe that he can help you right now. And so that's what we talked about. And I said, you know, this is a team that's tasked with going into some of the most dangerous neighborhoods in the world and coming in to incarnate and demonstrate that Jesus is big enough to change everything. So they simply are not going to be able to help others if they don't believe him for themselves. And so that night in the meeting, as they were all listening, um, they said great things. But there was one young leader named Monica who just sat there. She's a young girl. She probably is about from the ground, like this tall. She just sat there kind of on the edge of her seat and she was listening. So the next night, we were taken to a youth meeting and it was the leaders of their youth group down there that's being reached in Los Cuadros, which is a slum. Slums are like shanty towns. It's pretty difficult, but there's a group of young people. It's like 50 to 60 young people who are coming to Christ and their lives are changing. Monica is the central leader of this group. So she's in the meeting again, but we're surrounded by like eight to 10 teenagers who are pretty dynamic kids. I mean, they're, they're really, they're mostly like somewhere between 14 and 18 years old. And they're kind of excited and they're excited that I'm there. And Josue starts by sharing what I shared the night before and says, okay, well, we're gonna need to, he says, um, grow in our faith. And if we grow in our faith, we could change Costa Rica. And so... I got up and I started to just tell them really big faith stories. I told them the story about Smith Wigglesworth that I've told you guys where Smith Wigglesworth at a funeral grabbed the dead person out of the casket and started screaming, live, and everybody started running. And then sure enough, the guy lived, which is another very good way to proclaim the gospel. Um, write that down. Um, but then I also shared the story about John Duke, about Brother John, about the just different moments where he served and he loved me and Kathy so well that it changed our lives. And I turned to them and I said, if you really, really want to see your faith change Costa Rica, start by letting your faith get big enough where it helps you with your math homework. Like seriously, when you're really struggling in math, ask Jesus to help you and then he better help you. He's real, you know. But then your face can be a little bigger and you'll be able to deal with 
your brother. And then if that faith grows, let it keep growing bigger and bigger. And faithful in small things, you'll be faithful in big things. And so they liked it. And I told them, if you get a hold of that and your faith starts to grow like that, you'll not only change Costa Rica, you'll turn the world upside down. So again, Monica is sitting in the circle and she's listening and she's paying a lot of attention. Sometimes Monica is very serious, just like her sister Raquel, and you don't know what's going on, but you could tell she's in it. And you could tell she's in it by that night around 10.30, we start to get text messages that Monica is asking if Kathy and I and Josue and Anita can come to her mom's house. So Monica, we have known Monica since 2007 when the dentist came to the Procario years ago. And Monica has been one of the central families in a Procario that the Holy Spirit started moving in so dramatically that it doesn't even exist anymore. And her family grew in a million miraculous stories. We could tell you stories all day and all night, including of her being baptized in a little teeny swimming pool behind our offices one day. But along the way, there was one day right before James came down to Costa Rica where I showed up at her mom's house and had news of how her son had met Jesus and I thought she'd be rejoicing. And I came face to face with where her mom was struggling with a demon. And so instead of her being excited that her son had met Jesus, there was an anger to her. By the end of that day, I was in bed with pneumonia. I mean, it was a power encounter. And the honest truth is we got beat that day. Over the years since, I mean, this has been like 15 years of working with this family, the Holy Spirit has changed a whole community. You could even say that because of what happened there, he's started to grow things around the world that have come from that community. But that family, and particularly Monica's mom, there's just a roadblock. And I, this is where sometimes I can struggle with the Lord because I, I hate it when it doesn't go perfectly. I, I like the beautiful story. I like that everybody rides off into the sunset, right? But in this situation, Monica's mom has really struggled. And uh, we've dealt still with those same demonic spirits. And then now, Monica's mom is dying of cancer. And so what she was asking that night is she had heard us on Thursday night. She had heard us on Friday night. And so she said, you guys need to come and pray for my mom that she'll be healed. And, and Monica actually listened to the words we said, where it said that they brought, those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. So we said it, and she said, okay, yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's do it. So be careful about the gospel, is that some people actually might take you seriously, and it was time to do it. So nothing will make you pray more than a lady calling you over to her house hoping that her family will be healed and set free from demons. But we really, really prayed. And the truth is, is the, the thing that happened that was really clear to us as we prayed was it wasn't that, the story isn't that Josue and Anita and Jamie and Kathy came to somebody's house and healed them. It was that Jesus walked in and he healed people. So the only thing that could possibly happen that could help this family was that Jesus would walk in and heal them. So that's nice. That took the pressure off of us. And away we went, up the little mountain into the little house, and we go through the, the metal gate, and we get into the house. And already you could tell that the Lord was moving in Monica's mom. Uh, there was something different. And, um, and very quickly, Josue got her to share her story of, of how God was, of how she was struggling physically, but she wasn't hopeless. She was crying, she was scared. But it wasn't hopeless. I felt like already you could see where the Lord was moving there, and that was great. 
You never show up in a situation where the Lord's not already moving. That's kind of helpful, right? No matter what you're facing. And so we sit there, and as she went back and forth, I just thought to say, we're going to pray for you, but there's two things. Number one is that the, the stories that Monica heard us talk about were about Jesus walking into somebody's life and healing them. So today, one question about your faith levels is can you see beyond us being here to see Jesus? And are, is he speaking to you? What's happening between you and him? It was kind of cool. She told a great story about how God had spoken while she was in the hospital. When you're in the hospital now, you know, you can't always have visitors. She's isolated in the hospital going through, you know, treatment. And God spoke to her through a scripture. And then she stepped out into it uh, in her heart. And the news that came back from the next round of exams were really pretty great. It was like God had done something. So Jesus, you could see that her eyes were on Jesus. Monica's mom's eyes were on Jesus. So that was great. So then the next thing I said, and this is usually where things would have gone really wrong, is I said, I want to really pray for you that God will heal you, but we probably need to pray for the demons that you've been struggling with. So the thing about people who are demonized is most of the time, of course, you don't know it. Um, and then, then second of all, you don't really want to confront it. And the demons are like cockroaches with light. They're trying to push away from all that. So instead of her getting angry, which she should have gotten angry, instead she said, I know. And I thought, well, I started crying. So she was seated on, seated on this side of the room in an armchair. We were on a couch and Josue was down here. So I just went up. She had a mask on. They were, again, really afraid of COVID. But I went over and I started to pray for her. And, you know, you just pray some things. You pray about inviting the Father in and who the Father is. And you pray about who Jesus is and how he's overcome all things. And you pray about who the Holy Spirit is. And it's not because the demons don't know these things. It's because they don't know that you know these things. And to stand in the authority of God, um, we, needed to be able to, um, we needed to be able to see his power. So we prayed those things. And the room filled with the presence of God. And some of it is that we're up on the side of a mountain and clouds are covering the this, this sky as well. But the feeling inside the room, and it's a small room, was just a thickness. It almost felt like you could cut through the presence of God with a knife. It was so thick. And I was crying. And she was crying. And the feeling was just of sweetness of his presence. It was wonderful. It was worth, if nothing else had happened, it would have been worth it. But then we started to pray and I said... Lord, I pray that you would set um, this woman free. But I pray first of all, Lord, that you would fill her with your Holy Spirit and anything that's not of you, that you would, you would cast it out of her. And instantly she started to manifest. Now the presence of God was so strong that sometimes you watch in movies or you watch in certain churches where it's a really big chaos. It wasn't chaos, but she was manifesting a demon, and it was enough for Kathy to think that a dog had walked into the room. She, because there was just noises and scurrying and stuff like that. But as that happened, we immediately just said, in Jesus' name, we pray that these demons would be gone, and they left. And what's interesting is her, she was manifesting like this. She was using her hands, and her arms just fell limply to, the, to their side. Now, sometimes that can happen in deliverance. But it wasn't a demon. It was peace. They were gone. She'd been set free. Now, I was really crying because it's been a 15-year battle to get these ridiculous, defeated, unclean spirits out of this woman's life so that it would be out of this neighborhood's life, so that it would be out of this family's life. But she was set free. And the peace at that point, yeah. Yeah, yeah thank you.
the peace at that, thank you, Lord, at the peace at that moment was uh, so strong that how could anything not happen? So just prayed, well, Lord, we don't want to just clean the house. We want to see the house filled with the power of your Holy Spirit that nothing would be able to come back. So I said, I pray that you would fill her with your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that she would speak in tongues. First of all, because it's fun. And second of all, just so she would know that she knows that she knows. And she'd have this tool in the midst of the battle she's in. And so she started to vocalize, and then she started to sing. And it wasn't this big, loud performance voice. It was this sweet, childlike song that was coming out in tongues. And uh, it was great. And then I just said, if you're here casting out demons, and if you were here filling her with your Holy Spirit, then heal her, you know? but we trust you for whatever you're doing. And so she was so happy. I mean, uh, her sense wasn't, Lord, am I really healed? It wasn't that. There was just peace. I couldn't stop holding on to her because I've loved her for a long time, but it's always been an ugly story. And it makes no sense that it's an ugly story because we've watched Jesus change her life. And it was really, really hard to say anything. So we all sat down on the couch and we just sat in the midst of feeling his presence, sensing his presence. I said, does anybody have anything to say? And you know the presence of God has to be there if Josue Garcia has nothing to say. And he had nothing to say. And then we just sat there quietly for like, it felt like 15 minutes, but I have no idea how long it was. So I got to go back to the community center in a few hours where Monica, her daughter, was leading it for a bunch of kids for, on a Saturday Love Your City walkthrough. And, and I got to tell her the story of what had happened for her mom. Um, that's a good gospel story. Um, this is our gospel. You ready for it? Jesus. Yeah, that's it. So really get the words right, okay? It is this. Ready? Jesus, okay, you got that? You need to write it down, you know? You could tattoo it maybe somewhere. Power was coming from him and healing them all. He is either still that Jesus or we don't have any gospel to tell anybody. He is either that Jesus or there's nothing to say. But if he is that Jesus, then we may be the ones that need to hear that gospel because we're not living that way always, are we? We're a people who have known great leaders, who have lived their lives as disciples of Jesus, living out lives as, as if Jesus was right next to them. It's always the way I felt around Brother John. And that's the way I felt when Brother Charles was here a few weeks ago. And I was with Hugo Salaya a few weeks ago as well. And when you're with those guys, same with Curtis, and we have a bunch of them here, right? When you're with those guys, they go into their days as if he's alive and he's real and he's, he's, he's changing things. We have been a church that has experienced Jesus' power as a community, living our lives together around a living, moving Jesus. That's who we are. That's the thing that makes us exceptional. It's just that Jesus is here. And that's what a church should be. This is what we want, and it's what we're after. We don't simply want good messaging around the good news of Jesus, but we want to live in his power. And we want to see his life feeling and filling and changing our lives, our families' lives, and the lives of those that God has placed around us. One of the best parenting tips you could ever have is to live an authentic relationship with Jesus where your children see him 
And it does a better job at leading them to Jesus than any youth group ever will. But it certainly does help the youth group to be a spicier youth group as well. Um, So I just want to finish with one little piece. Right between those two stories is Luke's coverage of the Sermon on the Mount. And I would like to represent those words to you as something different than what you're used to. Because I actually think that what Jesus was saying in that moment were secrets about how to live those things. And so try this out real quick. We'll just read through this quickly. This is Luke 6, and it's verse 20. And you can read it with me. Looking at his disciples, so these guys just got called and made disciples. They've just seen everybody being healed and miracles happening. And then he turns to them and he starts to talk and he says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. And blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man, because of him. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. And I know this all sounds poetic and usually as you read it, you kind of think, ooh, it's almost like a little bit, it feels like Jesus is just saying, it's way deeper than you think. And, And you can kind of get into it, but it just kind of seems like he's just blowing our mind. But I... I know that that's right, but I, it, it sounds like he's listing all the things that we're all fighting to avoid. You know, Who here, when you come up for the altar call today, you're going to pray to be poor? <laughs> Lord, we're just not poor enough. Like, honestly, I'm so tired of how full our checking account is with money. And my debit card, just when I put it in, money just keeps coming out, making it rain. I hate that. Uh, so that's probably not you guys. Um, uh, he is, um, he's laying out a group of situations that are about need, they're about difficulties, and they're situations that require change, and he's saying, that's what you want. And it's kind of interesting. Um, think about it. Blessed are you when you're without resources to change things or get what you want. Uh, blessed are you when you can't get the things that will make you feel better, like food, like a good meal. Blessed are you when circumstances are not what you want them to be to the point that tears stream down your cheeks. Blessed are you when you're not popular, even disliked. And of course, this seems crazy. And usually the answer for us if we're in any of those situations is to pray so that God will change them. We want a better job. Lord, give me a better job. Lord, give us enough money to eat and give us good food. Give us everything we need to build a good life with a good spouse and a good house and a good neighborhood with good schools so that I can have good children. In all honesty, all humans spend their lives fighting with all their strength to fill those needs. And for many of us, we even come to church to God so he fixes these problems. So why does Jesus say, that's what you want? You know? Sometimes we just think he's being tricky, but I think actually he's giving us a secret. I think Jesus is proposing something, and this is it. What if you lived your life in a way that created room for Jesus? You know? Because if you think about what we're doing most of the time is we're trying to have everything we need so that we're sufficient, so that we're okay, so that everything's great. We're trying to lead in a way where no one could criticize us. We're trying to impact people's lives in a way that dazzles them. 
We're trying it for it to be shiny. We're trying to be the best in our occupation. We're trying to have positions that are unassailable. We're trying to hit the home run. We're trying to be the best sounding worship team. We're trying to do all these things that will be so great. But we're not necessarily trying to set up a situation where if, unless he shows up, we're in big trouble. And I think that that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus walked around pursuing a relationship with the Father and he walked out into situations where if the Holy Spirit didn't move, it was gonna be a big problem. It's not the way we live. And the honest truth is we get really mad at the world for being far from him. But this is an area where we're just like the world, you know? We have these certain things that we don't like that the world does that we call evil. But the essence of the world is to live a life without Jesus in the center. And for most of us, we get rolling through a week without hardly needing him. And if we need him for a second, we get on our knees and we call the elders and try to get it to change. But what if there's a different way? What if you walked with a limp? What if you walked into situations where you couldn't perfect it yourself, you needed his power? We can present a gospel better that way, you know? in our perfect lives as we walk in and just try to say nice words about Jesus. That shows one thing, but in your imperfect lives where you need him and everyone watches the way he's showing up for you and then you turn and talk to people, they'll listen to that more. There's more power to that. Read the next part if you think of it. Woe to you who are rich for you've already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now for you'll go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that's how the ancestors treated the false prophets. He's basically saying this. If you have everything you want, congratulations. That's what you get. You're satisfied now? Good. All right. And a tear runs down his face. This is good enough for you? You're so different than the world. This is good? Okay. Sadly, you will be full. You will be satisfied. You will be busy. And that's all you get. You'll eat at Cheesecake Factory tonight, but your heart will be empty and your life will be empty in the morning. If you settle for making yourself happy, you don't leave the opening for his life and power to carry you beyond anything you could even imagine. You'll get the best of this world instead of the power of the gospel. If you want to be popular with men, envied by them for what you have in this world, you give away your capacity to live a life that goes beyond their lives, that intrigues them, that grabs them. Jesus is describing a life of faith. That's really what he is. He's describing a life that's not content with this platform, but, but has to step out there, that needs, that hopefully I don't drop, that he's actually there. Like he's basically saying, live a life like this. You know, but we're like, nope, we need this platform to extend out four feet, you know, and we'll get it um, in two days with Amazon, maybe faster if you have Prime. But Jesus is describing a life of faith, and I'm closing, a life that leaves space for his life. Prepare him room. Like, you can worship him by giving him the time to sing the songs, but what if you worshiped him by walking in into every moment saying, how should it be? What do you want to do? What do you want my life to look like? I want to see more of you. I want to see more of you. What if you were open 
for him. A life that requires him to show up, like Monica. A life of dependence, a life that requires miracles. A.W. Tozer said, we have as much of God as we want, right? If we really believe the gospel, we would live a life in faith, um, believe, we would live a life believing that making room for God would be better than what we could do for ourselves. Our reward would be more of his love, more of him, more of his life. The world will see us incarnate this gospel with our faith-filled choices that are different than theirs. They would then see his power demonstrated as he heals and delivers them through our Jesus-filled, spirit-powered lives. It is then that our words would really matter to them. Uh, Brother Charles has said that we don't see a lot of people healed because we only spend time with each other and after a while we're all healed and in pretty good shape except for occasionally. So some of this is extending ourselves out to people beyond ourselves. But you also know that in our own lives, some of this is making room for a supernatural dynamic, and we call that a life of faith. And there's more. There's more for us. If you're a leader here, there's more for us. But if you're here for the first time, there's more for us. So I want to leave you with this. Make room in your life for Jesus to move. Make room in your life for Jesus' power. Make room for Jesus to fill empty things and empty places. Make room for Jesus to be the one who protects you, not you. Make room for Jesus to be the one who vindicates you, not yourself. Make room for Jesus to win our battles. Make room for Jesus to love people through us, not for us to solve their problems, but for Jesus to solve their problems. Make room for our battles, our fights, our struggles to be laid down, that Jesus would fight them and help us, and that his glory would fill our hearts, lives, and actions. Make room by living by faith, stepping out into the invisible, leaving space for him to increase in our lives. It is not just about big things. It's about how we deal with our finances, it's about the choices about how we set up our jobs. It's about our career choices. It's about the way we, the, we parent. It's about the way that we relate to our family. It's about the way we relate to whether we need to shine and be perfect every moment or whether we're more comfortable with our carnality knowing what he's done by his power and blood for us to be forgiven and clean. It is really being set free to a life of faith. And if we get just a bit of it, if we continue to step in, the thing about faith is that Kierkegaard said that it's the great equalizer because it's the same thing for a seven-year-old and a 77-year-old. You know, you could have lived incredibly by faith for the last 40 years, but today, will you step? So I know that this is a little provoking. It's provocative to me too. I keep just going back to these verses the page in my Bible that has these, this part is filled with pencil because he just keeps talking about it. But I just keep saying, Lord, please help me more today to make room for you. And I think the thing to think about isn't how much it costs because it really just costs making room. It's what worship really is, is to make room. But think about what the reward will be to have more of his love, more of his power. 
We're going to pray today. Would you guys, the worship team can come up, and would you guys go ahead and, and bow your heads? We're going to pray for three groups today. Lord, we are grateful that you love us. You're not just a Sunday school story, and you're not just something that happened in a sinner's prayer 20 years ago. You're alive. And the stories that fill those three years of your life in the Gospels are the way you are. And we want to be your people, and so we'll need to see more of those stories. So Lord, we... We do pray that you would help us empty ourselves. We do pray that you would help us lay down all the things that we cling to or that we grab onto. We pray that we would prepare room for you in our lives, in our days, and in our hearts. As we're praying, I would say that first there are those, please continue to pray, but keep your heads bowed. But first there are those here today who have come to church in your life, but you've never come to Jesus on the level I'm speaking of today. Maybe you've hedged your bets or you've held back. Maybe you've just never asked him into your heart. And as you're sitting and listening to the story of Monica's mom, you don't have the same problems, but you face huge problems. It could be problems in relationships, could be in your marriage, could be in your life. And I wanna just invite you to come up today You could give your life to Jesus or you could open your heart to him right where you sit. But there's something about taking the steps to come up front and even for someone to stand next to you and pray for you that is life-changing. And it marks a moment. And it, it allows you to, it's like you're building an altar for that moment. You're preparing room for him. Then there's some of you who, and it's many of us, who need to empty ourselves We need to lay down something, and maybe it's everything, to lay down our lives. For some of us, we can come and do that today up here as well. We can make room for Jesus to fill our life with the reality and the power of the gospel in a way that touches us first, and then can't help but touch others through us. So if that's you, uh, the altar is going to be open for you as well, and I'd ask you to come up. And I know it takes something to really respond to that, but... If it's you, you won't be able to not respond to that. So we're going to open up the altar, and you can come forward. And then finally, there's just those of us here who are tired of impotence. We're tired of complaining. We're tired of trying to change a world that sometimes our life, honestly, is just as limited as. We're tired of reading and telling people Bible stories without living them. We're tired of, in some ways, feeling like we might be misrepresenting him. We want to see his power, his glory as a daily part of our lives. So if that's you, would you come forward and make room in your heart for him to fill it? As you come forward, I'm going to pray for everybody and anybody who who you really, you feel like you've done business with God, you can just kind of step out and head on and we'll dismiss you. But for the others, um, I'm going to pray, and as you come forward, the worship team will sing, but um, just for those of you who are participating. So basically, I'll dismiss everyone, but then if you want to respond, there'll be time to respond. So let's pray. Jesus, we just hear you in, 
in what you're saying to us today. We hear the gospel of who you are and we want more. So Lord, for those of us who you've spoken to where we said, I pray, Lord, this week that you'd open our eyes to you, that you'd help us to see you, and that as we go, you would change everything. But then, Lord, for those that, that need this opportunity to respond to you, Lord, I pray that they would come forward and have an opportunity to be prayed with. Pray that the elders would come forward and be ready to care for people. Pray if we as elders need to be prayed for that we do that too. Lord, we do pray for the guys in Costa Rica. We're grateful for them. Grateful for uh, the opportunity to see others be impacted out of this body. And Lord, we pray that you'd impact them and that even the same message that we're talking about would change their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.